morning. I have an exciting story to tell. About last Sunday, you never know what a day will bring. You know, Father's Day was a special day for me, and I hope it was special for you. What I'd like to do is tell about what happened on Father's Day for me, um, and then we're going to see a video because we want to make it a little bit educational for you. And then I'd like to draw some spiritual parallels. It's all about cars sinking in the water and what you do if you find yourself in that situation. Okay, just so I don't forget, after the meeting, after the message, I have a little paper, How to Escape a Sinking Car, very well written. And on the back, information about a tool that's very inexpensive that you will wish you had if you find yourself in that situation. Okay, you're going to see a video on how to do it as well. But I found out firsthand how important it is to have something like this. Okay, so my day, and then um, we're going to be bringing in the verses from the Word of God as I go to the spiritual part. But I'd like to tell the story first. We have with us Tracy McCormick. Most of you know who she is because um, she's sort of famous, New York Daily. She helped out in the rescue, and I am grateful that she was there. She happens to be a good swimmer. The week before, she was swimming in a triathlon sprint in the bay, so God had her prepared for that moment, and she might not have known that at the time, but I'm grateful for that. So, Father's Day, and your kids ask you, what do you want to do? Of course, my kids know I like to eat. So, what restaurant would you like to go to? Well, one of my favorite places is in Alameda because they have really weird tea leaf green salad. It's made with some kind of fermented tea leaves and a lot of different ingredients, and it's just really good. So we decided to make a, a progressive go there and then another restaurant. You know, and at the end of the second restaurant, we were on the full side. So the question, well, do we want to have dessert? No, I think we're full. So that's something very difficult for me to do is get up and walk away from the table, if you know what I mean. But we did. So we're heading home now. In my car was Andy Goodwin, Sandra, myself, and my son Andy Shorkin. But on the way back, my son Andy Shorkin went with the, all the other kids. It was Heidi, it was Corey, Nathan, and Andy. It was Nathan's friend Leah, um, Robert Brown, and um, Paul uh, Wolf, Corey's boyfriend. So we had a big table there, but that family went one direction. Sandra and I and Andy went another direction. We went home by Doolittle Road. So we're driving home. And we're along the estuary, and we see this little lady, I think she was a Filipino lady, waving frantically, pointing at the water, waving, pointing. And I'm thinking, I think a car might have gone in the water. And uh, we should pull over. Right then, Sandra sees in a review mirror an ambulance coming with lights flashing. We weren't sure that I didn't see a car in the water. She saw a car in the water. She thought it maybe was the lady's. Wanted to help getting the car out of the water. So Santa, thinking, well, let's just keep going. They got this covered. I'm thinking, let's pull over. So we pulled over. I get out on the passenger side because Sandra's driving so I can relax. Andy gets out on his side, which is behind the driver's seat, and he's across the street first. As I'm crossing the street, I see there's a car in the water, but I didn't see any people. At the same time, Tracy was heading northbound. She doesn't see the lady waving. She just sees a car in the water. And she actually sees the people inside banging on the window. So, you know, I'm walking over there. I'm not quite sure. I'll tell you more about it later. But um, Andy Goodwin said, there's people in the car. We got to get in the water. 
And right then I reached for my wallet and my cell phone because <laughs> I don't want that to go in the water. And then the ambulance had pulled over. And by the way, the ambulance wasn't called to that site. They were called to another call, and they were going to keep going. And what was in the paramedic's mind at the time, she told me later, oh, I thought, oh, a fender bender? But no, it was a little bit more than a fender bender, so she pulled over. And she just got out, and I said, here, hold this. <laughs> Handed her my cell phone and my wallet. I jumped in the water. Andy Goodwin was already in the water. And I, I, from Andy's mouth, he said he went halfway, and then he realized, well, how are we going to get the car open? And he had the presence of mind to ask that question. I didn't. I just had it out there. And then Tracy, in her mind, was not whether she was going to get in, but how fast she can get to the car. She pulls over, and she's in the water. And, she's, and I'll, next thing I know, I'm there with her, not knowing who she is. But we're, we're looking at people that, at that moment, I realized the door would not open car was face down like this, going down steeply. The water was right up to the back window. Only door handle showing was the back door handle. So I tried to open it. It's locked. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. I can't hear what they're saying in there. I'm trying to reach down for the front door to try to see if that's unlocked. Of course, it was underwater, so there's no way it was going to open. And then the paramedic yelled from the shore, I got a glass-breaking knife. One sort of like this, but not blue. And so Andy grabbed it from her, so there was a handoff. And then Tracy swam back a little ways. I, I might not get all the details straight. You can verify it with Tracy afterwards. <laughs> and Andy swims out with a knife. He passes it off to her. So there's two passes, right? And then she swims out, and all I see is with this, this knife, bam, bam, bam. I can't break the glass. It won't break. It won't break. And knowing something about glass, give me that thing. <laughs> All these uh, glass-breaking instruments, there's a sharp, hardened point. And the way glass is, tempered glass on your windshield, it's cooled rapidly. So being cold and cold, inside still hot, it's expanding against something contracting. And so there's a real dense surface. All you have to do is break the surface, and the glass will blow itself up. And that's what you witness when you break tempered glass. So I just grabbed it like this, and it broke. And by that time, that was the rear window. Water was starting to come right up to the window and starting to go in. And, you know, we were starting to pull kids out. She helped me pull people out. They were coming out. We didn't know if there was uh, all the people out of the car, but finally the husband came out. And so we pulled two kids, and a mother and a father, out of the car. Then there was the fact that they didn't know how to swim. Fortunately, the Lord provided a good swimmer there. And I could swim, but I think she's a stronger swimmer than I was because my head was halfway underwater bringing, trying to bring two people back. So we got, the, got them out of the water, up on shore. Everybody was okay. And then everybody started coming. The police came, um, and Tracy got the full story from the paramedic because she got in touch with the paramedic and told her what had happened. But I saw five police cars. Uh, and there's more than one ambulance showed up. A TV crew showed up, a helicopter overhead, and I guess the boat probably called off. The rescue boat was called off because everybody was out safe by the time they all got there. And I remember one policeman said, did a car go in the water here? By the time we got to the shore, the, wa the car was totally underwater. You couldn't see it. You didn't know it was there anymore. They go down that fast. And, uh, yeah, the car went down in the water. And the, the police officer said, well, thank God that you guys were here. Because you don't know how many people drive by something like this, and they just drive by. And then the people that stop, you'd be surprised at how many will just watch this happen and not do anything about it. You know? So... 
it was a marvelous converging of circumstances arranged by God. And um, I remember Don saying, you couldn't put together a better team. It's like, it's like we operated in, as a team without having trained together. And that's what's so exciting about it, because God used us to save some lives. And no credit to me, more credit to her than me, but I think most of the credit, all the credit should go to God, because he put us there at the right time, the right place. And I'm going to talk about some of those things. But first, I want to show you a video. Luke's going to put it up there for us. Oh, and by the way, I'd like to give this to Tracy as a thank you for all that you've done and a remembrance. You're welcome. Yeah. Luke, could you put that up? It has already been a year of extreme weather, as you know, and NOAA scientists have issued another prediction about floods, more of them ahead this spring. An estimated 400 people die each year because their cars are trapped in water, and it turns out many of us are doing exactly the wrong thing in that moment. We roll up the windows and hope for an air bubble or call 911. But tonight, ABC's Lisa Stark is going to show you a demonstration of the right thing to do if your car is sinking and the 30 seconds that can save your life. What you're about to hear are actual 911 calls from people in sinking cars. Help me. I got fire department oh going. I don't know what to do. Oh, it's sinking. It's in my eyes. Here's the headline you must remember. You have to get out of the car before it sinks. That means you likely have under a minute to get out. Speed is the key to saving your life. The first 30 to 60 seconds is when you have to get out of that vehicle. That's leading researcher Gordon Giesbrecht, who says it's too late to try to push a door open when the car's underwater. So this Florida dive team shows what can be done. Okay, guys, ready to go. Let's start the clock in real time. A second after hitting the water, seatbelts off, then windows down. Within eight seconds, both front seat passengers are out. Water now rushing in the back seat. Passengers scramble. In some cars like this one, rear windows won't roll down all the way. The escape is out the front. Everyone is safe, all in under 20 seconds. Everybody's clear. Here again, in slow motion, Jeff, who was in the back seat. It was uh, very intimidating. The car went down quicker than I thought it would. I had a real inflow of water that I had to work against to get out but it can be done. Point is, everybody knew what they were supposed to do. Get your seatbelt off, open the window, period, and then get out. It's simple, but crucial. And what about kids? Same scenario here with test dummies. Again, seatbelts off, windows open, unstrap the oldest child first, the youngest last. That's your best chance of getting the children out safely. They got out this window in 21 seconds. And if you can't get the window down, you'll need a backup, an inexpensive window break tool. All right. Take a look when I gave it a try. You don't have to be strong. Anyone can do it. Giesbrecht's tests are leading to a sea change. Starting next month, 911 operators will tell anyone in a sinking car, get out now. Lisa Stark, ABC News, Naples, Florida. That tool that they used is the same one with the information in the back. If you'd like to get one on the way out, it's on the back table. No, Ed, can we have the lights? Oh, there we go. 
Okay, you don't have much time, do you? You never know when that's going to happen um, to you or to someone near you. And so uh, that tool works as a keychain. You can keep it with you or you can place it in your car. You know, um, God really doesn't need us to save a life. And he doesn't need us to save a soul. But he chooses to allow us the privilege of being his instruments in saving a life. And even saving a soul. I'm not talking about the actual saving of the soul, but bringing them the news that they need to know in order to be saved. He desires that we get involved. That we don't stand by the side and watch things happen. Without our involvement, like in this case, people will die. Without our involvement, people will be lost for eternity. Because this life, it's short. <laughs> you know, the older you get, the more you realize how fast time goes by. One day, life will be over and we'll be stepping into eternity. And where we spend eternity is going to last for a long time, forever. God wants us to care because He cares. He wants us to have compassion because He has compassion. He wants us to love as He loves. When we remember what He's done, we can see He really wants us to act on the behalf of others, put others before ourselves, as He has done. He came down from heaven, died on the cross to save you and to save me. That's the love of God. He got involved. And it wasn't a pretty picture. He wants us to get involved. And when I think of this instance, I think so many parallels. I want to bring them out if I can. It says in 1 Timothy 1.15, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says it, but I have argument with him. He says, I'm among whom I am the foremost. I think I'm a bigger sinner than Paul was. But Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And it was sort of like what we did when we saw someone in trouble. You know, Somebody was in trouble. They were going to die. They had no way of helping themselves. They needed somebody from without their situation to help them. A little bit different. Jesus had to die on the cross to save us. We didn't have to die to save them. Praise the Lord for that. I think of where it starts is that knife. Um, that knife was given to the paramedic. I think it was only a week before. That knife was given to her to equip her with what she needs to save a life, a tool. And so God has equipped us. You know that? It says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even the Lord, even our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Just like she was equipped, her husband gave her that tool to equip her. God has equipped us. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have a personal relationship with him, you are equipped with the most fantastic tool that exists. It's the information that a person needs to know to get to heaven. You have the roadmap. You know how to get there because your salvation is secure. You have that instrument. The question is, what are you doing with it? And I ask myself this question. This my, the, the, I'm not pointing my finger because I realize I have three pointing at myself. What am I doing with it? You see, she was given a tool that could save a life, and it wouldn't have done any good had she left it on the dresser, had she put it on the mantle as a nice gift from her husband. It was meant to be used. It was meant to be put into action. 
And that's why God's given us the gospel. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the truth of eternal life. Not so that we can glory in, wow, what a fantastic gift we have. I know if I die tonight, I'm going to heaven. And it's not because I'm a good guy. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Just like the Bible says everyone is. But Jesus loved me so much, he died for me on the cross to pay for my penalties. On that cross, and give me eternal life. So my salvation's secure. So I could sit back and say, wow, isn't it going to be great when we get to heaven? That's not what he wants me to do. He left me here for a reason, and he left you here. And that's because there are people that need to be saved. They need to know that. And unless I take the gospel out and use it, it's not useful to anybody that needs it. So if she hadn't have brought that knife with her that day, we wouldn't have had... I mean, it went down so fast, there wasn't any more time to go and get a rock to smash a window. Okay, that knife was brought there at the last minute. And so I was grateful that she was given the gift. She was equipped. I was grateful that she used the gift. She brought it with her and that she spoke up. I got a knife that breaks glass. <laughs> it's exactly what we needed. And the gospel is exactly what a person needs that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got the power to save. And if you know him, you have that gift. Okay, so it says in Ephesians 6.15... Uh, speaking of the armor of God, it says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. That's like having that tool and taking it with you. <laughs> you know, with my shoes, I mean, I, I wore my Crocs out there. <laughs> to, <laughs> perfect shoes to have, by the way. I don't know why I wore them. They're comfortable. But Sandra was probably wondering, why is he wearing those to the restaurant? <laughs> but it's Father's Day. Let him do something crazy if he wants. But they were perfect. You put your shoes on when you're going somewhere. We shouldn't go somewhere without bringing the gospel with us, ready to share Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. I think of where it started earlier in the day with us. I knew my family was going to celebrate Father's Day. My kids were going to take us out to a restaurant, and we have a friend. I have a friend. And I thought, I'm going to invite him. And I think that was the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you invite Andy along? But I like to ask my wife what she thinks, and she says, yeah. You know how grateful I am for a wife that has the gift of hospitality? I never have to overcome reluctance with her. God can use hospitality. Matter of fact, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Practicing hospitality. Is your home God's home? If it is, then he should be able to use it the way he wants, right? I mean, in going to Brazil, I learned something about hospitality. We went over to Louise and Isa's house, and I'm looking at walls that are plastered, I mean, concrete plaster, sort of stucco on the inside. Chipped walls, dirty, um, worn couch. And, and I thought, wow, look at their house. And then I saw them, how they treated us. And there was such a warmth that, came, that, that just came from them. A warmth that said, I love you. A warmth that says, you're more important to me than my house. And I will care for you way more than my house. Because this is just used to serve you. <laughs> I learned something. doesn't matter what your house looks like. You don't have to have the perfect house. You don't have to cook the perfect meal. You don't have to wear the perfect clothes. You don't have to have the perfect family. Show hospitality. Show love. Invite people not into your house, but into your life. Yeah, they'll see all your warts and forbles and, and sins. But you know what? People think, oh, that person's real. I can relate. It's a lot better than a plastic person in a plastic house perfection that nobody ever sees but from the outside 
hospitality is important. And so we invited Andy Goodwin. And he says, yeah, sure. Well, that put him in the right place at the right time. And you'll see that in a minute. We were at the restaurant. We didn't have dessert. That's what put us in the right place at the right time. Had we had dessert, would have all happened before us. Most likely, Tracy might not have been able to save all four of those people. Okay? But she was placed at the right time as well. So I think we needed each other there. And that's what the Lord knew. He put us there together. But we didn't have dessert. We had a nice meal, tea leaf salad. Then we went over to a Cambodian place and we had even more good food. And we were all satisfied. We were all full. The question up, hey, do we have dessert? The question came up. Nah, I think we're fine. It's time to go. You know, that speaks to me about how much we really need. How many here can say, I have what I need? I'm full. I'm satisfied. I don't need something extra. You know, the whole world chases out to that something extra. We live in a capitalistic society that greed really describes how we live. Greed being an inordinate amount or an inordinate desire for more. It could be, it could be anything. More food. It's called gluttony. More money we associate with greed. But there's a lot of forms of greed. More clothes. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 12, 13 through 15. And it says, someone sitting in the crowd said this to the Lord, Jesus Christ. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And he said, man, who appointed me a judge over you? And he said to them, beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. There's a lot of different forms of greed. I remember not long ago, Don Robertson challenged us with the question, how many of us really can retire right now and trust the Lord for the rest of our life? How many people work and collect a retirement? Are we having more? Is that keeping us from what God wants us to do? I know what I would do if I could collect a retirement. I'd spend 100% of my time seeking to serve the Lord and reach the lost. Because in, the, in eternity, that's what I'm going to wish I had done. Live for others. Live for others. And so I need to try to do that sometimes with the limitations of my job. But you've got to know when enough is enough. When the boss says, I need you to work overtime, there's a time when enough is enough. That's enough. Why? Because God has other things for me to do. And sometimes it's go home so on the way there, you can help someone rescue somebody else out of cars, out of a car in water. Okay. Enough is enough. Our family went one direction, Sandra and I, and Andy went another direction. And that reminds me about family. Sometimes family can be a distraction. Our desire to spend every fleeting moment with our family could keep us from the road God wants us to be on. That doesn't mean God never wants us to spend time with our family, but sometimes family could be elevated to the point of interfering with what God has for our life. And it could keep us from being used of Him in a special way. Family. Family needs to be in its right place. Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. 
He has to be number one in our life for us to live correctly. I can remember the time I broke Sandra's heart. I've told you before, um, when we were ready to get married, we were going out on a date, and I told her, you know, it's all off. And she's what? After three years, it's all off? I broke her heart. I said, you know, God needs to come first in my life, and I've always had you first, and I've never known for sure that I put God first. And the only way I can know for sure is by cutting this off with no hope for future. That way I know God's first in my life. And she was in tears, and I knew I broke her heart. And I didn't find out until I think about six years later that that was the right thing to do. When she said, Eric, you know, you broke my heart that day. I said, I know. She said, but I never respected you more. I said, what do you mean? She said, when, she says, before that moment, I always wondered, is he putting God first or am I first? Because I loved her so much, and it was obvious. When you did that, I knew God came first, and that's when I knew I could trust you to be my leader and my husband. God's got to come first. Anything else comes first, things are backwards. Family, children, husbands, wives. But when God's in his proper place, then we are the best husband. Then we are the best fathers. And we are, then we are the best friends to others. It's when God has his proper place in our life. Other than that, things are backwards. And we get confused and disoriented. And we aren't true. I think of the lady that stood at the side of the road, flagging, desperately flagging and pointing, flagging and pointing. You know, we're driving along. And this is how we are in life. We drive along in life. And there's opportunities along life's path. They're calling for our involvement. Important opportunities. And I'm not talking about, you know, some sale at the bazaar. I'm talking about opportunities to reach out to those in need for the help that they need. The gospel. The good news that God loves them. The good news that God wants to have them in heaven. And he's done everything that, he, that needs to be done to secure their eternal life. And they just need a presentation. This is God's eternal life that he has for you. Jesus died for you to pay your penalty so that God can forgive you in a just way. Do you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior? What do you mean? I mean, it's a free gift. I mean, free? Yeah, free. That's how God loves you, how much God loves you. He wants to give you this gift. And like any other gift, Tracy, I gave you a gift, didn't I? What did you have to do for it to be yours? I walked over and I said, I got a gift for you. What'd you do? You took it. That's it. That's simple. I know sometimes somebody asks a question, you think it can't be that simple, but that is it. It's that simple. You just take it. And God is offering eternal life. Here it is. And people say, oh, isn't that wonderful? God loves us. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. There's a heaven. But God's expecting us to say, thank you, I want that. <laughs> you know, I take that. I accept that. And that's what he's waiting for. I accept that. Free gift, eternal life. Opportunities along life's path. They come all the time. The question is, do we recognize it? Or are we going to be like the police officer that said, you know, most people just drive on by. I'm too busy. I got things to do. Well, you just lost a golden opportunity to be used of God to save a life. For all eternity, perhaps. I think of Sandra. You know, sometimes you can't get involved for one reason or another. Sandra's not a strong swimmer. But I'll tell you, she did something probably better than all of us. Because she's not a strong swimmer, perhaps because of her fears, she says, 
I'm going to pray. She stayed in the car praying. You know how powerful prayer is? It's been said, and I believe it's true, and I challenge anybody to defy the truth of this statement, that nobody ever gets saved without someone first praying for them. You could try as you might, but you're not going to be able to refute that. Because I know, first and foremost, that the Lord's praying for you. <laughs> prayer, it works. It has an effect. God put everything together in the right timing, and who knows if it wasn't just because Santa was praying. Powerful, powerful. You know, I felt bad because the media reports, I don't think any one of them are 100% accurate. And they're all from somebody else's point of view. Um, the first reports came out, and, and somebody was knocking the paramedic. Why didn't the paramedic get in the water? Well, she did end up getting in the water. Um, when she saw that we were trying to break the glass and it wasn't happening, she started taking off her gear and she started wading in. Of course, that's when I broke the glass. And then she received people out of the water. So she was ready, waiting. But, you know, when I ran over there and she got out of her uh, ambulance and she had to call, she had to forward her call that she was on to someone else and tell them the situation here. And then when she saw us going out to, to help, that speaks to me so much of, you know, there is a certain excitement and joy being able to help somebody like that. Being able to be out there and actually help somebody. Um, and, and she was the expert, and she had been trained, but it's like she let us have the pleasure of being used by God to save a life. And that speaks to me of uh, really the heart of the elders here, and I think the Lord's heart. You know, it's God's will for everyone here to have spiritual children. For everybody here to have the joy of leading their friend or family member to Christ. To know that here's one more person that's going to be in heaven. You know, my loved one, my friend, my family member. They have eternal life. They've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a joy that you should long for. That's what God wants you to have. That's what we want you to have. You know, there's some people that have this thing because, oh, I'm not... I won't say the right thing. Or I can't explain it right. And they want to take somebody that's interested to somebody else to share the gospel with them. You know, and I feel like saying, no, you do it. You have everything you need. You do it. You know? God doesn't need some fancy explanation that I can offer that you can't. The truth is in his word, and he's made it simple. So even a child can understand it. It's not complicated. And it's not some fancy way I'm going to explain it that's going to win somebody to himself. He does the work. He just uses our mouth. He just uses our willingness to get in the water and provide what he gives us. So I'm glad the paramedic let us in on the water, you know. And uh, she was there ready, waiting to back us up. Praise the Lord for that. I think of afterwards, and here's what's special to me. Afterwards, Tracy hugged me. Afterwards, the paramedic hugged me. And afterwards, the little Filipino lady that waved me down, she hugged me. <laughs> you know? And Andy didn't hug me, but he was there with me. <laughs> but, you know, there was a fellowship there that you, you, it was hard to describe, but there was a certain fellowship that we enjoyed because we invested in this work of saving this family. And 
Tracy pointed out to me, just by her explanation, that it was more than I thought. It was an emotional investment as well as a physical investment. We were not only there physically, we were there emotionally. And I think Tracy had a lot more investment in that than I did, just because of my personality and per perhaps your caring personality. You know? um, a fellowship in the work. And you know, at Calvary, we should feel that same way. I can remember in times past where I felt that really strongly. Certain individuals, we're in their work together. And we were glad to be in the work together. We were shoulder to shoulder, seeking to be used of the Lord to save people. And as we did, we knew He was pleased with us and He wanted to use us more. And our eyes scoured the horizon for all that we could do. And there was rarely a discouraging word. That's the way God wants us to be here at Calvary. A fellowship in the work, following after God's heart. And Satan wants to get in there and destroy that by divisiveness. I, there was somebody responded to, to one of the, I, you know, I know that the news articles weren't 100% accurate, but this guy was out in left field. And he was super critical, and he signed his name Blue 91 Civic. Didn't even put his name on it. That wasn't true. The paramedic was in the water at the car pulling people out of the water. That's who deserves the credit. And I wrote on there, excuse me, you're mistaken. It was Trudy McCormick that was at the car with me pulling people out of the water. The, the paramedic waded in and pulled people out. Oh, and by the way, since you were there, why didn't you help? <laughs> that silenced him. <laughs> you know? Not daunted by criticism. Pulling together. And I think we experienced something special that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I hope to find the other people and get them together, you know. I've tried calling the family, but I'm not getting, I'm not getting through to them. I hope, to, I hope that I'll be successful. Okay, so there was a special fellowship in the work. We co-labored together. And I have to confess something. I don't, I don't usually preach without at least confessing some fault or failure on my part. At least I should. You know... You guys, most of you know that I helped deliver a baby in Brazil. It was on the coldest night of the year. And there's my buzzer. I had confessed the first thought in my mind was, I don't want to get out of bed in this cold night. There was a reluctance there. A reluctance that God had to overcome. And I have to confess there was a reluctance there that, that afternoon too with that family. Driving down, waiting, lady waving us. I think there's a I think there's a car in the water. I'm thinking, I hope it's not. You know, I hope it's just something, you know, but I guess we better stop and look. And then I, hope, I, I really don't want to get wet. There was a reluctance there, you know. You know, oftentimes when somebody needs you, they're at a ripe time in their life to hear of God's love for them, of God's plan for their life, plan for eternity. The offer of eternal life is what they need to hear right now, and there's a reluctance on your part, on my part. Oh, man, I've I got to go do this, or I'm busy, or what if they reject me? Oh, what if they think I'm a Jesus freak, you know, talking about God? They think of some religious guy. There's all kinds of reluctance that has to be overcome. And how many times does God have the victory in your life in overcoming those objections? That is proportional to how he uses you, is overcoming that reluctance. And I, I confess, I recognize that. There is a, an initial reluctance that has to be overcome. And I'm going to tell you how it was overcome this time. Last time, 
it was overcome because I was sitting in my bed, not answering my door, and God brought to my memory about two weeks before that where I was clapping, because you don't knock on the door, you clap, on a friend's house, and he wasn't answering, and I knew he was home. And I was thinking, how rude, how rude. Of course, now I wasn't answering the Lord, and the Lord's saying, you hypocrite. And you know, there's something that's really important, to be honest with God, say, you're right, God, you're right, I'm a hypocrite, okay. You want me to answer the door, have him ring again. <laughs> ring right away. And they had stopped ringing, so. Then when you see the hand of the Lord in it, then there's no question about it, you know you have to act. Well, there's something like that happened with, with Andy. You know, I, I believe a true friend will spur you to action, not inaction. A true friend will root you on. A true friend will poke and prod whatever they need to help you do what you really want to do in your heart, and that's be used of God. So something happened there that I've had a week to mull over. And um, I think of the verse in John 23 and 4. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. They heard that Jesus wasn't there. They heard that there was angels there that says, he's not here, he's arisen from the dead. They might have remembered that Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead. So they knew we need to go there. And the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. That was, I believe, John. Now, Andy Goodwin got out of the car first and he recognized we need to get in the water. I didn't race ahead in the competition against Andy Goodwin. And I don't think John did here either. But what Andy Goodwin did in my mind, he crystallized in my mind what we need to do. And once I knew what to do, I wasn't slow in doing it. I knew I had to get out there fast. Okay. And so thank you, Andy Goodwin. If you hadn't have done that, I don't know if I would have gotten in the water. It wouldn't have taken me just that long to figure out whether I'm getting in the water, or at least when I see Tracy out there, I probably would have gotten in the water. <laughs> But sometimes you need that. Somebody to say, why, why don't you say something? Why don't you tell them about Jesus? You know? A friend that will spur you on to good works. One thing that was uh, interesting, and um, I think Tracy and I had the right thought, or the same thought, I should the same thought, when we went up to that car and we found out we couldn't open the door. We couldn't break the glass with our bare hands. I was thinking what went through my mind, and I learned this morning what went Tracy's mind was, these people are going to die right here, right now, right in front of us. They're going to die because I can't get through that glass. And that's a helpless, helpless feeling. Helpless feeling. I didn't have the right tool. And then the paramedic said, I got a glass-breaking knife. So there's hope. And then it was brought out and we got through with the tool. What does that tell me? What is God looking for? That we have the right tool? I didn't have the presence of mind to grab a rock when I first went out there. Had I done that, I think I would have banged on the side window where they were banging on. And that was already halfway underwater. That would have rushed water in. Smaller opening, probably maybe nobody, not all the people get out. By the time the knife came out, the car had sunk. And either we swam around or the car had twisted to where now just the big broad back window was above water. Water was coming up at the bottom and that's right when we smashed through it. Big window, people come out. So, I didn't have the presence of mind to grab a rock. I didn't have the right tool. Is that what God needs? Somebody with the presence of mind to grab the right rock? Someone with the presence of mind to think about having the tools? Somebody that's ready to go? No. 
I mean, I might get the glory then. God wants the glory. It's God doing it. So I think what God expects of me, listen, Eric, this is what I expect of you. You be ready in season and out to be an instrument in my hand and I will use you. If you don't have the right tool, don't worry about that. I'll get it to you. And that's what happened then. God gave us the right tool at the right time. And it was an amazing thing that it didn't fall out of the hands when it was passed three times, from the paramedic to Andy, from Andy to Tracy, from Tracy to me. And we're all either in or over the water. Didn't drop that knife. I don't know what happened to it after that. <laughs> it's like it disappeared or something. I'm sorry for the paramedic. but um, God will make sure, if you're willing to be used of him, that you will have what you need at the right time. He will make sure of that. You don't have it, he'll make sure somebody brings it to you. And so you see, God put together a team that worked well together because God put it together. We didn't know each other, but everything worked like clockwork. When we got to the back to that shore with all those family members, we turned back, that car was completely disappeared. You couldn't even see it underwater. I thought, well, it must be shallow. Maybe it's on mud. Uh Uh-uh, it was gone, and it was like at this angle. So it was deep, deep. And it was about 20, 25 feet out, I think. The right tool, God will provide it. Uh, it says in 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything we need, He'll provide it. What He's looking for is a willing and eager participant, saying, God, use me. I want to be used by you. And then you just got to keep your eyes open <laughs> so you don't miss it. So, and it's exciting. I was excited. Um, I know Tracy had a difficult time sleeping afterwards. But if you knew the God that I know, the one who is in control of all things, all that time when we thought these people are going to die, God knew better. He could have picked that car out of the water like that. But he, no, he wanted to use us. And he had a reason for that. And I don't know all the reasons yet. I'm looking for them. It was a divine appointment. Divine appointment is a, something that God has prearranged ahead of time. You don't know it. Sometimes in retrospect, it's easy to see. Not always in foresight. Probably never in foresight. Divine appointment. We were at the right place at the right time, not by, quote, coincidence. Because with God, there's no such thing as coincidence. We didn't eat dessert. Not by coincidence. Andy Goodwin was with us. Not by coincidence. Tracy, whenever she left, wherever she left, I think her father's house at that time, wasn't by coincidence. The path that she drove, when she drove, not by coincidence. The Filipino lady, I believe she's Filipino. She looked Filipino to me. God put her there at the right time. You know, and there are people that will go, wow, look at that car went in the water, and they'll just dial 911 and keep driving. If that was the case, I wouldn't have seen the car. We wouldn't have stopped. The right people at the right time, prearranged by God. My prayer is that the family, that they recognize that, and hopefully we get to speak with them. Okay, so this is going to cost you something. You want to be used by God? It might cost you something. I lost a pair of glasses. I had to buy a new set of glasses. I forgot to take my phone out of my pocket. Not my phone, but my my camera out of my pocket. I took my camera that day. It was Father's Day. So that got all soaking away. It was destroyed. So that cost me something. But when you compare the cost of these little things to the joy of being used by God to save a life, that's nothing compared to the cost that we can invest in seeing a soul saved for all eternity. There's a story that Jesus tells. 
Very interesting story. Talks about a rich man and a steward. Steward's a manager, managing the rich man's resources. And he calls the steward to himself. He says, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of the stewardship, for you can't be steward anymore. Okay, so he's losing his job. Now, he didn't plan for retirement. So he asks himself, what shall I do when I'm removed? I'm too old to work with my back, too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began to say to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he says, 100 measures of oil. Sit down quickly, write down 50. And he calls the next one, how much do you owe? 100, what does it say? Uh, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill, write down 80. So he's giving these guys a discount. He's still in the position of manager, so he has the authority to do that. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. He thought of his future. And his future was just in the near future, not the far future. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in their relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. What does that mean? That means the people of this world are involved in curing something for their future. Pension, retirement, bonuses, right? And they're very clever at getting those things. I mean, I hear a multi-million dollar bonuses some people are getting. <laughs> very clever at how they get those things. And yet the sons of light, Christians, who are called the sons of light in the Bible, they're not so concerned about eternity, which is forever. We sit around and we have all this opportunity and time and we have some certain amount of resources to invest in the lives of others for eternity and we're more concerned about our pension, more concerned about overtime, more concerned about what we can get here and now. And the Lord is saying, listen, you should use the resources that you have right now whatever they are, to gain friends in eternity so that when you die, they'll receive you and say, welcome home. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Thank you for giving me that book about the Lord. Thank you for inviting me to that Bible study. I'm in heaven because you were faithful to the Lord and you invested in eternity. For people that don't invest in eternity if they go to heaven. They'll say, man, why didn't I do that? Because now I'm in heaven and there's nobody to welcome me. I didn't help anybody get here. Very important lesson. Very important lesson. I remember um, the, the, the television man that arrived on the scene and he said, uh, why did you stop and get in the water and help when others would have just passed by? You know, I hate those questions because I don't answer questions necessarily very well unless I have like overnight to sleep on it, you know? <laughs> you know, I say something stupid at first, but then when I think about it, I come up with a better answer. Or I search my heart and I ask myself, well, why did I do that? You know? And I think it's because I'm a Christian and I see that following Jesus is seeking to follow Jesus, live like Jesus. He came down from heaven because he was concerned about you. Because he was concerned about me. And he did what he needed to do. The only thing that could have saved us 
Him dying in our place. Bearing our sins on the cross, He died for us. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, shouldn't I follow that example? It says in Philippians 2, 3 through 11, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. Not merely looking out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. When I think of those people in that car, a family, I'm thinking, what if my wife was in that car? What if my kids were in that car? Would I not want somebody else to get in the water and try to get them out? And how much more important when I see people that don't know the Lord, and they're dying, and they're doomed to an eternity in hell because they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can do something about it. I can do something about it. I was excited to participate in that. It was an excitement to me because uh, it was perfect. And you have to give the Lord credit because He does all things well. And um, it was all in His hands. But I see the spiritual parallel as so much more important. And I've told people that I had to get my glasses replaced, and I went in there in the receptionist, and I said I had to get my glasses replaced. And, well, how come? Well, because I lost my other ones in a rescue. And then I proceeded to tell her about it. She, oh, okay. That was it. Oh, okay. (laughs) How deflating. (laughs) And then when I'm sitting in the chair, and the actual doctor's examining my eyes, and I'm telling her about it, she's like, what? Really? What did you do next? no, you know, and she was like all ears, you know, I'm thinking, wow, that encouraged me. You know, it's like that too when people get saved. When people get saved, they go, the Bible says, from the domain of darkness to the domain of light, the kingdom of God. They go from a sure certainty of the wrath of God to the total forgiveness of God, welcomed into the family of God. And so when we hear, oh, yeah, you know, Jen accepted the Lord. Oh, good. How deflating. It's like, yeah! The Bible says that the angels of God rejoice in His presence. God rejoices. And we go, oh, cool. Man, am I out of step with God. I should be rejoicing. And the thought of seeing somebody come to know the Lord, that should make my heart leap for joy. Why? Because they're going to be in heaven and I'll be able to see them. Praise the Lord, we're here. Who else is here? <laughs> you know. Let's pray. Lord, we do uh, confess you are wonderful. And you do all things well. And when we think of last weekend, uh, you working out every detail of the salvation of that family from a physical death, Lord. We marvel. And I just thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for Tracy that she could be here and enjoy. Lord, just a look back at how she was a part of it. And Lord, we do pray for that family that they might uh, see your hand behind it. Pray that we might get in contact with them and might have a meal together celebrating life, Lord. And we do pray that you'd help us to see the spiritual significance behind this and the lessons we can see through it. And we pray that we might be those that would look for opportunities to be used of you to save others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.